Welcome to the Beautiful and True Project podcast. This is a place where we talk about beauty and truth, the things that are most important to us, the things that ground us, and the things that uplift us. My guests are not celebrities. They are, in many ways, leading kind of ordinary lives, but they pay extraordinary attention to the world around them, and that makes the difference. I'm so excited today because for the first time, I'm talking with an engineer. So beautiful and true may seem like a natural fit for people who are artists and activists and pastors, but the beautiful and true is also found in math and science, in puzzles and solutions, in working on something physical, mechanical in fixing things and making them whole again. To be clear, I think we all have in us a bit of the artist and a bit of the engineer. Philosophers are also bakers and woodworkers. Mechanics have an ear for music. The ways in which each of us are blended, that makes us interesting and rich and complex. Who wants simple anyway? My guest today, Derek Saul, is certainly not simple. He's a builder, a taker-a-parter, a tinkerer. A professional engineer and amateur car mechanic, he started his college training in English and political science. In this conversation, you'll hear him go into detail about rust patterns in Midwestern Mazda Miatas, but he'll also talk about the legacy of our personal histories and how he sneaks the Beatles into his kids' dance party playlist. And then he'll follow it all up with a quote from The Glass Menagerie. A Renaissance man, indeed. Enjoy. Hi, Derek. Hi, Jen. How are you doing? Doing all right, how are you? I'm great doing this interview at like nine in the morning, which is new for me, and that's kind of fun. So I've got my coffee, ready to go. I have mine as well. Phenomenal. Oh, so I'm talking with you because you have been like one of my best friends for a very, very long time. I think twenty-five. Uh, it's longer than that. Um, we met in Mr. Riley's history class downtown campus. That was his name. You remember him? I remember him. I remember the really thick green book that we were using. Uh huh. Yes. The thing I remember most about him was that he was old enough that he lived through the Great Depression. And so he told us, was telling us some stories about how his family um, dealt with that because of all the shortages and everything. And one of my interestingly regrets is that I didn't latch onto that and ask him more questions because that is such an interesting time in in history. Mm -hmm. And people who, who lived through it are gone. And so, you know, there are plenty of written, uh, you know, written um, testimonies about 
um, what that time was like for people. But the opportunity to talk to people about what it was like firsthand is, is, is gone, which is disappointing to me because I think that's different. I mean, I, I think that there's, I guess, more character to talking to somebody about it versus reading it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I am... Um... In the, the first market research company I worked for, one of the founders, he used to tell me the most amazing stories because he, he and his family fled Vienna in like 1938. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. They were one of the last families to get a visa out of Austria. Wow. Yeah. And he was telling me all these fascinating stories. Um, so I worked for him and then I left Shapiro and I still was doing some freelance work for him. He was, he was quite old at the time, but he was still, still working. Cause he's one of those, one of those guys. Yeah. He's going to drop in the harness. <laughs> <laughs> um, and while I was doing work for him, he was writing a book. I was helping him, him edit it. And um, eventually we were just sitting in his office or going to lunch and he would just tell me these, these amazing stories. The one I remember the most, and I hope he's okay with me telling with me telling this, but he, when he was eight, he remembers the German parade. His nanny took him to see the German parade, and he thought it was the most amazing thing he'd ever seen. There were tanks and soldiers all marching goose step, and it was just this, and people cheering and yelling and giving this amazing salute and. He said, I remember seeing one car go, go by and it was a convertible, had an open top. And he says, I'm, I'm fairly certain I saw Hitler. Wow. He remembers everybody giving the salute. He remembers his nanny giving the salute. He's like, I was only eight. I had no idea what it meant. It was just all exciting and cool to me. He didn't use the word cool. He would never have used the word cool. Um, <laughs> he was just talking about how exciting and thrilling it was. And he went home and he told his dad, I just saw the most amazing parade. And it was so exciting. And he said he remembers the blood just draining from his father's face. And then the next day, the, the next day went to get a visa for his family to get out. Wow. Anyway, total digression. But yes. The point of this is that the opportunity for people to hear these stories firsthand from somebody who lived it and remembers it is gone. Right. But the flip side to that is that we will eventually tell about what it was like on 9-11, what the Great um, Recession was like what the pandemic was like and how life changed. I think of all the things that people will, will want to hear about eventually when we're very old, I think it'll be the pandemic. Yeah. 9-11, like, you know, kind of if you were in New York, maybe. Uh, I've already had that conversation. So oh, yeah? um, that's, that's ancient history to my kids, but they've talked about it in school. Like on 9-11, they're like, you know, um, not the, not Alex, but Emily's teachers are like, okay, so, you know, today we're going to talk about this thing that happened. And so they, they had this conversation in class about it. And then she came home and she had questions, you know, <laughs> what was it like, guys? And of course, you know, that day is seared into my memory. And so I'm able Mine to, too. and so, you know, 
telling her about you know what it was like when um the second tower got hit and we realized that it wasn't an accident and you know all of those details and then for me personally on top of all of that that night was the jimmy buffett concert and it got postponed (laughs) (laughs) yes those those very personal small disappointments (laughs) yeah yeah, that, that was a Tuesday. And I was like, ah, they're postponed the concerts. Um, but they only moved it to Thursday. So, <laughs> but. So not, uh, not, not indeed a tragedy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's just one of those stupid details that, you know, I'm passing down for no real good reason, but here it is. I remember... So uh, I I remember when I first heard about it, I think the second that the, they had been, the towers, both towers had been hit, but neither had come down yet. Mm-hmm. So there was a real short window. And I, had, I was in grad school and I'd walked into, I'd walked into the green room and Oh, it was Husky. We had a, a Finnish exchange student, Hoskolder Samunson, I believe was his full name. We called him Husky. And he was like, he's talking about the, he, he told us about the towers being hit. And the horrible thing about me is that when something horrible like that happens, my first instinct is to make a joke of it. Uh, yeah, I get to, that pop right into my head, not my emotions, but just my head. And I made some, some, some comment about, about Bush, like, like George W. Bush having a really bad day. That's a really bad day for him, isn't it? (laughs) Or something really stupid. I don't remember what exactly what it is, but the entire room just was like, what is wrong with you? Exactly. This is how I deal. Okay. Yeah. And then we went and we had acting class. And then I was supposed to teach. And I was like, I'm, I don't know how to teach through this. I, can I? I don't think I can. Let's just all go home, okay? Yeah. Yeah, my students, my college students now, because I teach, I teach public speaking. Um, mm-hmm. And not all of them, but many of them are in the 18 to 20 range. Mm-hmm. Um, they they were not born, right? And that first happened a year ago. I was like, "What? You weren't even? Oh my god!" Okay. <laughs> I, I asked them the other day. I asked them because I, I use Mister Rogers. I, there's a speech that he gives before Congress. It's just brilliant and beautiful. And I use it to talk about various things because it's just a phenomenal speech. And um, I said, do you, do you all know who Mr. Rogers is? And a couple, several of them nodded. And then one was like, that's that guy from that movie about neighborhood. I was like, oh, yes, Derek. (laughs) Mr. Rogers is now like howdy doody. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my, my listeners are probably getting tired of me marveling about how old I am, but I'm just at quite right at that age oh i you know i mean that's the same for me i'm 
I am the oldest person in the engineering department. No. And um, there are three project engineers. The other two guys are like 28, 29. And so um, there is like this every, every now and then there's like this jarring reminder of just how much, um, cause they're what, 15 years younger than me, just how much a difference 15 years can make. Yep. I bet their lives are quite different from yours. Yeah. Uh, because so they were born in like 91. And so they effectively don't know a world without the internet. Yeah. Um, Cause I try to think I bought my first modem from Grant. Yep. In 1994. And that's when I got on online. So they were all of three years old. And so, you know, it's, uh, it's just this totally different worldview. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where I'm going with that. Just that, you know, you know, we're, older and this is where we're at i guess i don't know it's a marvel and also very very weird it is (laughs) yep oh so i sent you some questions you did do i have to look at those or are you gonna look nope i'm looking okay um so you are (laughs) You are one of the people that, when I asked to do this, said something like, but I don't, I wouldn't have anything to say. Uh-huh. And what's, what's awesome to me about that is that the people who have said that to me have ended up being, I mean, I love all of my interviews. All of them have been wonderful. But the ones where people have said, I don't think I'd have anything to say, end up kind of being my favorites usually so no pressure um (laughs) be sparkly (laughs) but i do i and i think i I may have caught you by surprise when i said something like this but i do think of you as someone who lives kind of a, a quietly beautiful and true life do you think of yourself that way at all i mean you may not use those words but um Until you gave me an invitation to to join in the project here, um, like actually talk to you versus answering the questions that you'd sent out uh, uh, last year, whenever it was, um, until um, you actually were like, hey, we should do this thing. I had never really um, put thought into that exact question. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I guess I do. I just never had articulated it that mm-hmm. way. Um, because if you, I mean, I, I can't be a, um, objective, obviously, but I think I live a pretty good life. I mean, married, got kids. I have a house that's also my hobby. I have my you know, cars that are my hobby slash toys. And, <laughs> and I get to do all this stuff that, I mean, I guess I've just sort of hit my stride in life. Mm-hmm. And so in, in a, 
you know, in, in, in a, in a word salad. Yes. Yes, I do live. Um, what you're describing is kind of what I'm, it's just my thesis that most of us have these things that, that drive us that are beautiful and true for us and that we don't think about them particularly often because we're just living them. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the actual thesis is that if we, if we can articulate them and we pay a little, a little more attention to them you know, kind of front and center in our minds that our lives become a little richer for it is my thought. I don't know that that's entirely true, but that's my, that's my hypothesis that I'm working with. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. And I think that there is a certain truth to um, the idea that once you recognize something like that, that you can kind of zoom in on a little bit and like, yeah, I'm, this this is really good. I should I should think about this. I <laughs> I've got it made. I mean, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. versus just just powering through it and living day to day. It's like you know, I, I this is great. Especially, I think, because in our culture, in particular, you know, having it made. I don't even know what having. When I think if I've got it made, I think of having. Of being really, really rich. Mm-hmm. I've got it made. That means somebody's making my food for me, and you know, I've got a, I've got a pool, and somebody cleans my house for me. In my case, I own my house, <laughs> <laughs> and I never have to worry about money. But I actually don't think that's it at all. That's like a fantasy world. Yeah, and um, even if you did have all those things which would be great um that doesn't necessarily mean that you are living with purpose you have meaning Mm -hmm. and that is exactly what i'm trying to dig into oh you're running my podcast for me this is great (laughs) do you want to take over uh no no (laughs) um i only have so much in me no i know oh god uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think I could be doing this if I, it would be much more difficult to do this if I was working full time and had kids and. Oh, no. What I meant by I only have so much in me is um, so much philosophy. Oh, I see. Well, we're going to move away from philosophy now. We're going to talk about, you're talking about your work group, your engineering group. So you're an engineer. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, I am not, if I've heard this story, it's been a long time and I don't remember the details well. What led you to engineering? Brian Hip. When I started college, which ended up being this odyssey, um, I was a English major. And um, for two years, I was um, at IU studying you know, liberal arts. And he's a year younger than I am. So in my second year of college, he was a freshman at Purdue. And um, he had called me when school had started and uh, just kind of getting caught up. And we were talking about our classes. And at the time, I was like, oh, well, you know, I've got this, this lit class and I'm, I'm in this poli sci class and we're reading Plato's Republic. And, you know, just, 
and then he's telling me about his classes where he's taken like you know CAD and you know working towards you know learning things like fluid power and mechanics and I'm just like the more we talked the more I was just like I'm in the wrong school (laughs) (laughs) that sounds really neat (laughs) and well it was a struggle because um I was two years into college at this point Mm -hmm. and I knew that if I changed and went to Purdue to do engineering that I was going to start over and um, I was hesitant I didn't want to be in college forever Um, but um, it was actually talking about it was it was a poli sci class talking through Plato's Republic and um, in this class we were talking about you know what people are are meant to do in life and and purpose and you know what we're what we want to do versus what we should be doing and I finally decided to just pick you know leap of faith and I and I um, put it in to transfer to Purdue in the following fall in 1997 um, I started at Purdue mm-hmm. and powered my way through it and finally graduated <laughs> uh, um, seven years later. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was in college for nine years to get a bachelor's degree. <laughs> and Nothing wrong with that. I, and, and the, the fun fact is, um, and this is just one of these things that's, that's stuck with me. It takes, um, generally speaking, 130 credit hours for a bachelor's degree. Mm-hmm. I have something like 212. Why is that? Because of the time at uh, because at of IU? the time I spent at IU and you know taking other classes and and um, even so after I graduated um, I actually went back and I took um, five calculus classes. For, Why? <laughs> um, <For> fun. <laughs> to see if I could do it mm, for fun yeah so I uh, my degree is 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 engineering technology mm-hmm. which is less mass math intensive than straight engineering um, but I always kind of wondered if I could have done it and so I went back and those five classes are the core math classes for the engineering program and so I took them and survived and it's like okay well it had I decided to do engineering I could have done it I mean, like straight engineering versus engineering technology. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, that's how I have so many credit hours to my name. That's amazing. It might be higher than that. I don't remember. So what was, when, when Brian was talking about CAD and I don't even, I don't even know what you, something about fluid. Fluid flu- power. and Fluid power. What was, the, what was it that was, can you articulate what was so interesting about those? Um, I guess by nature, I'm a, I'm a mechanically minded person mm-hmm. and they just sounded more interesting to me than, um, studying English. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of fundamentally about how things work, right? Yes. And, but not just, not like concepts. Cause you're talking about poli sci in English, which is about kind of how conceptually things work. Mm-hmm. or 
not things, but how emotions and people work, but this is about how things work. And that's really interesting. Yeah. It's, um, engineering is black and white. Mm -hmm. There, there is no gray area. Um, Physics works the way it works, right? (laughs) Right. You can put math to it and you can prove it versus, um, you know, political theory, which is very fluid. I mean, it it changes. It can change. There is no right or wrong to it. But and not just political theory, obviously, but, you know, the the whole of liberal arts is is um, hard to define. Yes, it's the search for answers where there really aren't any definite answers. Right. I like that, that it's in black and white. It's not something I had, I had considered. So we were talking a little earlier before I started recording about um, your car projects. Uh-huh. And this is part of the, the fascination with mechanical with the mechanical world. Yes. So, um, how many, how many cars do you currently have, including like all the, the utility vehicles and, (laughs) Uh, if you include Sarah's van four. Four. Okay. So you've got Sarah's van, your everyday kind of car, Uh the beater truck. You have a beater truck, I think, right? Yes. And then the baby. And then the Miata, yeah. Which is the Miata. Tell right. me about the Miata. I've been in the Miata. It's really fun. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to know about it? Like, why um, do I have it? Yeah, when did, when did, why did you get it in the first place? When, when did you start working on it? Where is it now? I, I want to know all, all kinds of things about it. What do you love about working right. on it? Um, so <laughs> I have been working on cars since I was 16. Um, Many of those years was out of necessity, but it is something that I um, enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had long wanted to have a project. And what I really wanted was like something V8 powered and fast and loud and this, that, and the other. And um, like a lot of people, I'm enamored with my first car, which was that, that light blue 84 Cutlass. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to get another Cutlass and fix it up and put a huge engine in it. And especially around here, those are a little hard to come by just because um, rust and, you know, age. And, and it finally occurred to me that, um, A, they're hard to come by. B, they're all automatic transmissions. <laughs> and lastly, um, it, it finally registered with me that there are at ton of Miatas, like literally a million of them, or there are more than a million of them in the United States. And they've been, they've been importing them in since 1989. And so they're everywhere and there's a huge aftermarket following. But um, if I realized that if I bought one of those, it would be a stick, Mm -hmm. a convertible, and I could drive it and enjoy it while I'm working on it. And so I finally started looking casually on, on Craigslist for one. And as soon as I started looking, I found the one that I bought. It like the same day that the, it was a college kid who had it. The same day he posted it, I was like, um, can I come see that? And oh, so, meant to be. 
Yeah, and so um, this was when I was working at Goodwill, so I was um, just just west of downtown, and he was at IUPUI. And so that afternoon, we met um, right off campus, and I test drove it, and I was like, yeah, okay, I want this. And so I bought it from him. And so that was three years ago. Okay. Did your wife know that this was a thing that you were doing? I told her I was going to go look at a car. And then you came home with it. I, well, I didn't um, because I, I was driving. I came home and she was sitting out front when I got home. And I'm just smiling and I sort of looked at her and she officially was like, I just bought a car. I, you, you just, you just said you were going to go look at what? Why? It's like because I really wanted it. And I should note that um, one of the things that um, when we got married, um, we combined most of our finances, but we each have our own individual savings account. Mm-hmm. And I can't. I did that to protect myself. Only because I knew the day would come that I would want to go buy something stupid that she wouldn't approve of. And so I paid for that out of my savings. And so I'm like, it's my money. You can't say anything. And so the next day. Um, did her I was, eye, I'm curious. Did her eyes roll in her head so hard that they had to be surgically replaced? Uh, yeah. She rolled her eyes so hard there was a minor earthquake. Uh, <laughs> And so the next day, one of my um, friends drove me up and I paid the kid cash and drove that car home. And I've been playing with it ever since. Well, because is there anything left of the original car? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Because as far as I know, you have been working on this. Yeah. Um, So these cars in particular, um, they rust behind the doors in the rocker panel. And this car, it's, uh, it's an Ohio car. It spent most of its life in mm. Ohio. And mm-hmm. it came to Indiana just in time for me to buy it. Um, and so um, because this area on this car is so prone to rust, you can buy new metal for it. And um, so I had never done body work before. And so I have bought a welder and... <laughs> grinders and I bought the replacement panels and so I am slowly working my way through it and so right now um, I have welded in a new quarter panel and a rocker panel and I'm doing you know doing some bondo to smooth everything out and I have bought um, in all of this I also bought a compressor so I could do some painting and (laughs) I installed an exhaust fan in the garage so I can do the painting and not die and so yeah the I have spent more on equipment for this car than I have the actual car itself, but I believe that. <laughs> but yeah, most of the car is still there, and and it's still drivable. It it still drives and runs, and um, at the moment, um, the front fender and the door are not on the car because I took them off um, to do the bodywork on that rocker panel mm-hmm. and to 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 paint it. Um, I haven't actually done any work on the car in a few weeks. Uh, just because I've been busy doing other stuff. What, you, two kids starting school in the middle of a pandemic? Is that keeping you fairly busy? Uh, you would think so, but... Um, but no, not that, okay. Been doing house projects. Got it. So, yeah, in addition to working on cars, you know, I, I work on the house, you know, as a, as a project too, so I've been doing you, that stuff. You like doing things with your hands. 
I do. It's uh, as as you're talking, it strikes me that that's also. Uh, these are puzzles that you have to figure out, but they also have endings and solutions. And when they're done, you get this really interesting or cool or at least finished thing. Ta-da! Yes. So it, 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 it's back to that kind of, I don't know if I'd call it black and white, but it's, here's the problem, here are some solutions, and now it's solved. Yep. Exactly like calculus. This is going to be one of the most awkward segues in the history of segues because it has nothing to do with what we were talking about before. Um, okay. But the, the question I was asking, one of the questions I asked is that from everything I can see and tell and know of you, you're an awesome dad. Oh, thanks. Tell me about that. Tell me about, like, what is one of your favorite moments of from being a dad so far? Because you have an eight-year-old daughter mm -hmm. and a four-year-old son. Mm-hmm. What do you, what, just one um, of them. I know there's so many, there's so many favorite moments, but. Um, when Emily was still in daycare, um, I went to pick her up after work. And when I walked in, she saw me and yelled, Daddy, and came running and did a flying leap into my arms. Oh, I remember you telling this story before. Yeah, she still does that um, and nearly knocks me over. But, <laughs> yeah, I, things like that are cute. Mm -hmm. um, I... I am not one of the people that's like, oh, the greatest day of my life was the day I became a dad because honestly, when kids are born, it's exhausting and they're loud and it's miserable and it's well, not fun. Especially, was it Emily who didn't sleep for a year and a half? Neither of them. So Okay, for, I, didn't, I don't remember the second round. I think I only remember the first round. For the first full year, neither of them would sleep for more than a couple hours at a time. And um, in both their cases, as soon as they stopped uh, breastfeeding, they started sleeping all night. Mm -hmm. I remember, I, I think I must have been staying with you for possibly a triathlon. Or I, I saw you, uh, I don't remember, but I saw you at one point at the very end mm -hmm. of one of those cycles. I don't remember which one. It, it was and Emily. you... <laughs> I, remember I have never, I have never seen anyone <laughs> so haggard because <laughs> you hadn't slept in a year. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, Sarah took the brunt of that one. I mean, I was able to get some sleep because, um, you know, Sarah was the one feeding her at night. Right. And, and both of them. And so I am not going to complain about that time. No, I don't, I don't expect you to. <laughs> that sounds quite dangerous, actually. Yeah. No, um, she, uh, yeah, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah took the brunt of that one. So I think I had it good during that period. Still not an easy time. No. But, so this is, I know this is a tough question. This is a tough question for a lot of people, but what does what does being a dad or do you think of yourself as a dad or a father? Because those are two different things for me, and it, and it, they have different feelings. Do you think of yourself as as one or the other? 
um, define the difference between the two words. Yeah, I should have defined them. So a f like a father to me is somebody who is loving, but stern, kind of lays down the law. Um, and a dad, it's someone who gives piggyback rides and and might might have serious conversations about how maybe you shouldn't behave like that but mm -hmm. but isn't is is much more i don't know involved like physically present in the does that make uh, sense like hugs and does, yeah um i think i am both depending on what is most appropriate at the time <laughs> fair answer fair answer uh, because so it was dad it was dad who it was daddy who emily ran to and jumped into and it's father when you know one of them is misbehaving which <laughs> which uh generally speaking emily doesn't misbehave anymore but alex well he's four so he can be kind of difficult at times and also boys are just different oh my god how he's just a lot more rambunctious and i guess bullheaded <laughs> really my, my favorite my favorite analogy to tell to to explain the difference between my two kids is um last last summer um the kids were playing in the yard emily got stung by a bee on her foot and it was end of the world she was just carrying on and crying and i had to carry her inside and and i had to you know pull the stinger out and she didn't want me to touch it and was just going on and on and on and on and just it's just awful and a couple of weeks later alex got stung on his foot too and um, i was i was in the garage and i hear him crying and he walks up to the to the door and he's like crying. He's like, Daddy, you have my foot. And I was like, oh, you got stung by a bee. And I flipped the stinger out. And he was still crying. And I'm like, there, is that better? Yeah. Are you going to go play? Yeah. And he took off and ran off and went back to playing. <laughs> so that, that's the difference between the two of them. You know, Emily, um, when she was younger, especially, if you told her no, she would immediately stop what she's doing and start crying. Alex, if you tell him no, he doubles down. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. You don't want to play with my Legos anymore? I'm going to grab all the Legos. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, he's testing you. Oh, yes. Yeah. It's really funny. So, another awkward segue. So, the world's kind of on fire right now. A little. Just a little. And I think I'm right about this, that I know I'm pretty sensitive to that. And I, am I right that you are also fairly sensitive to that? Yes, um, but I'm getting used to it. <laughs> right. So, um, you know, when the, um, when the pandemic first happened um, and everything shut down, uh, I was just beside myself. Um, so I've got, I have 
one of the myriad people on the planet who has a lifelong anxiety problem. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I'm on a couple of drugs for it already. Uh, but I was just, I, I like was just kind of coming apart at the seams. Um, but after some time, everything sort of settled out and normalized and it was like, okay, it's, it's going to be all right. And, and so, you know, I settled down and of course, um, you know, in addition to that, there's the whole political landscape that's going on right now. And it's, it's not just my disdain for the man currently in the Oval Office, but um, there's just so much divisiveness right now. And mm -hmm. Yeah, I really don't like that either. Um, so um, I guess I've kind of learned how to how to just sort of to compartmentalize that and deal with it. Um, and do you, you know? Do but, you think? Do you when you compartmentalize? Because I'm not great at compartmentalizing, and I'm trying to learn to be better. Do you actually, does it, it's like the physical sensation of, of putting all of that into like a box or into a closet or into a someplace else? Like, nope, that'll be there later when I'm ready for it. Like, can you almost feel that? No, no? it's more just like, um, this is, this, this is how it, it is going to be. And I'm doing what I can, but there's not much I can do about the broader scheme and so I'm just not going to worry about it right now. Do you have any other coping strategies or just the, uh, you know, I'm not going to worry about that right now. Really the, the, and this is, this is heading towards, you know, where my picture that I sent you, um, the, the thing that I do most to deal and, you know, with any situation is music. I listen. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, sometimes it's feel good music. Sometimes it's um, music with a message, you know, rage against the machine, prophets of rage, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, that's, that's my go-to. So the picture that you sent me is of, did you take, you took it yourself? I did. Is it of your record player, like playing it something? It is. Is it playing something specific? Uh, it, it's the, the album is Jayhawks. Um, I just chose that because it was first in line. Okay. <laughs> um, so I wasn't trying to send a message with that. Well, no, and you um, can't even see it because it's, it's, it's spinning. And it's blurred a little bit. And it's bit. blurred. Yeah, I loved it. You know, initially I, I took that picture and so the camera on my phone isn't great. And I was like, oh crap, you can't see it. But the more I looked at it, I was like, no, I really like that. It's like, yeah. it's, action shot like yeah i like this um so <laughs> yeah uh, incidentally so i told you i i took friday off and built a home project um what i actually built is a cabinet to hold um some albums vinyl albums and uh -huh. old stereo receiver and my turntable um because that turntable uh lived in the basement and i never actually went down there and listened to it and so I um, was like, you know what? We've got a big bedroom. I think that this can live upstairs and I've got some speakers. And so I built a cabinet for that. So I now have my vinyl collection upstairs. In our nice. Bedroom. Yeah. And so you're listening to it more because uh, it's more, more accessible. 
I just put it to, I just put everything together last night. Oh, that was yesterday. Yeah. Okay. So you, who knows? <laughs> uh, well, what I ended up doing last night is um, plugging in my Bluetooth receiver and playing a dance party for the kids. So. Oh, <laughs> what did you put on? Uh, I've got a, um, a kids mix on Spotify. That's got a bunch of songs that the kids like. And it's um, like, you know, a bunch of Disney stuff. And um, I've got a couple of songs from the Beatles and some old standards, like, um, you know, Lollipop and things like that. What's, what are the Beatles? What, which Beatles ones? Um, we've got um, Hey Jude. Um, you know my name. Look up the number. Uh, you know my name. You know my number two. That one. You know my name. No, my number. What's up with you? you. Huh. Yeah, yeah, that's cute. And we've got Emily has this this little light that um, is sensitive to sound, and it does like this kaleidoscope of of colors, and it changes based on the you know sound coming into it. And so we pulled the blinds down and turned off the lights and we had that and the kids were having a dance party in our bedroom. Aw, were you joining so, them? Nope. Nope. <laughs> so you sent me, when you sent me the, the picture, mm -hmm. it's an awesome picture. Um, we talked about music as a way of, of coping. Is that why you chose that to send to me? Yep. Well, and it's not just that. Um, so initially you were like, you know, wanted to know what to me is beautiful and true. And the obvious answer is, you know, my family. Mm -hmm. um, but I was thinking bigger picture. And before my family, before I ever met Sarah, um, through everything up to and including today, um, the, the go-to that I've always had has been music. And, you know, my love affair with music started um, probably growing up. My parents listened to, you know, 60s rock, you know, Crosby, Stills and Nash and, and things like that. And I think that sort of ingrained it in me. And, you know, growing up, I found my own way and started listening to, to my own music. And so I guess they're the best way to put this. There is a Frank Turner song called I Still Believe. And in it, one of the things he says is, I still believe um, that everyone can find a song for every time they've lost and every time they've won. And I think that sums it up. There's a song for everything. And that's, and that's been true for me. Um, you know, through so the, the, the bad times, you know, meeting Sarah, we've got our own songs. And actually, uh, so Tennessee Williams in the Glass Menagerie, um, says that memory is set to music. And I think that's very true. That, mm -hmm. you know, I, maybe not for everybody, but for me, everything is set to music. And I, you know, it's something that's just always there. You know, if I'm at home cleaning up the kitchen, I'm listening to music. If I'm out in the garage working on the car, the stereo's on. Mm -hmm. You know, in the car, when I'm not listening to NPR, it's music. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's my thing. That's that's my beautiful and true. I love it.
I want to thank Derek for spending a Sunday morning chatting with me over coffee and Zoom. It's not everyone who is up for a deep conversation before noon, and I'm entirely grateful for the opportunity. As always, thank you for listening. And if you like what you hear, find us on iTunes and subscribe. And if you really like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating. It really helps. And if you really, really like what you hear, please tell a friend about us. I hope that listening inspires you to focus on the beautiful and true in your own life. We'll talk again next Sunday. Have a great week.